0: Hey friends, just a heads up, this episode contains mature content. Now, Drew, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive in and start asking questions?
1: Uh, What do you want to know? There's a whole lot of story to me. (laughs)
0: Hello everyone, my name is Aliyah Aluma and today I'm talking with Drew Allum, also known as Drew Atlas, who is a prominent DJ living in Calgary, Alberta. He's opened up for artists like Usher, Busta Rhymes, Nas, Most Deaf, and Common. Today we're going to talk about his journey through the music industry, some revelations that he's had, and also some advice for up and coming DJs in the city. I guess that's true. So right now, what's what's your life like? You're living in Calgary.
1: I am, yes. I've been here since when my family moved to Calgary in 1989. Uh, yes. So we've been pretty much Calgarians. Uh, I don't necessarily sound like a native Calgarian. But that's only because my family is uh, uh, born in Trinidad and Tobago.
0: So, so yep. you've been here for a very long yeah. time. I have definitely not been here that long. I've only yes. been in Calgary for three years. So in the time that you've been here what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen happen especially related to the music and entertainment industry
1: uh well population growth for one the diversity of the city as well too just in its makeup and what people actually listen to and are considering entertainment that's completely changed yeah it's i i love diversity so it allows us to flourish now
0: growing up in calgary uh-huh. You became interested in DJing while here, or you had that interest previously?
1: Uh, if you know any Caribbean people, it doesn't matter what they do. There's a member of their family who owns a sound system, or they DJ or sing or something. It's just kind of all in our system. So, right, so
0: it's who
1: uh, I've been doing this. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We just been, it's, I didn't really think about it until I moved to Calgary, I guess. Uh, once I was taken away from you know just the regular activity of the entertainment how much it meant to me and that's pretty much how I ended up in the entertainment industry.
0: So would you describe the music that you typically make then as being reminiscent of your like Caribbean roots?
1: Well I don't or make, mix. I, I'm more of a yeah exactly <laughs> so I'd mix, I'd mix and promote but I fall under that full urban umbrella when I came here it was all about a very very young hip-hop and R&B scene and then you know reggae and soca music had always been in my blood as well too so to this day it's still that that's the majority of what I'm focused on but uh, yeah that, that's been it from uh, day you've one. You've
0: had a very prominent career I would say I think that it's quite notable you've opened and hosted DJing duties for people like Usher, Busta Rhymes and Most Deaf, Common so Did you think that you would have the career that you've had when you first started?
1: No, because I don't think I ever looked at it really as a career. It wasn't until my parents were (laughs) looking at me, you know, going through my university years, saying, well, you're not really focusing much time and effort on what, you know, you're paying to go to university for, you're spending all your time at this radio station, (laughs) DJing and buying records and, you know, that sort of stuff. So why don't you look at that? And I think is when I got that stamp of approval because yeah, my, my parents did not intend for me to move to Canada.
0: Okay, what what did you study in university?
1: Uh, initially it was geology.
0: Oh, rocks. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> initially with geology, I was supposed to get into geophysics, but <laughs> that, that never panned out. i never made it past uh, second year there. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows that I've pretty much tried everything but the one constant has always been uh, constantly coming back to entertainment I did the broadcasting uh, program at the same time.
0: DJing for radio and then DJing live, what are obviously that there's the obvious difference right of having people there but the energy what do you notice are some of the biggest differences in how you Vibe with what you're doing. Like if you're in a studio space, if you're in um, a station, or if you're on stage.
1: When I started doing the radio, which was where I first, first, you know, actually started getting into, I guess, the broadcasting side of things, it was more private. If that makes, if that means anything or makes any sense, mm. I used to come into the studio, I turn the lights down. It was one, two of us. We were you know, just a bunch of guys who were hanging out. And my intention was, I had a few friends who I told I was doing the radio show. So I said, if you guys like what I'm playing, then wherever you are, we can listen. So I thought of it as just, just the initial virtual hangout before social media was ever in existence. So it was a very personal experience. There was a phone, people could call in, they can request their songs. And yeah, we just had a three hour block on the weekend where We played music and did that for a few years
0: that sounds wonderful quick little story that you might find interesting but maybe not when i was in high school i worked at a radio station and that's what i imagined it would be like that's what i really hoped it would be like when i started working there and it (laughs) definitely was not like that so your experience sounds so good so wonderful and you did that that radio station was that here with cjsw was that one of the first stations you worked for
1: That's right. Well, work is never the word because CGSW is 100% 100 volunteer driven. A lot of people don't know that. Even the program I do to this day on the weekends, it's still volunteer. So I, I took that volunteer position that I had done. And then that had turned after my broadcasting into paid gigs at 107, which was Power. And then that turned into mixed shows and stuff like that and then me moving to 98.5
0: as a volunteer run base everybody there would have been very passionate because they're there because they want to be there so that would have been yes. a really great integration into radio to be surrounded by people who just had that energy absolutely how do you think radio has changed or just any differences that you've noticed and has anything changed now with covid like, do you think that the way people are consuming radio or participating in radio? Do you think it's changed
1: from the time I started? Absolutely, it was just terrestrial radio. We used to hear about, you know, other stations in other cities, and everyone wondered why the culture wasn't where we were, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but it it all really changed when you know internet streaming and you know Sirius and uh, satellite radio had showed up, where I could now either, you know, pay a small fee for the stations that I loved. And have it tailored my my listening tailored or i could you know i could stream from anywhere right and then on top of that then you went into things like you know your spotify's there was the era of you know your limewire and your you know your pirate downloads that pretty much collapsed (laughs) the initial backbone of what used to be the record industry so it's been for a while that a lot of people had just been consuming on their own like even if I think about 10 of 10, for example, the, the fact that you can curate local artists, right? And you have that sort of support that's 100% grassroots. We would have had to have relied on a radio station in the past to do that, where you'd have had to convince a disc jockey or a group of disc jockeys to play these artists' songs. They'd have to come, you know, shuck them to a program director, a music director, get denied. Right? Whereas now, with you know your SoundClouds and all these other streaming platforms, your mix clouds for DJs, uh, and then the artists themselves can post their stuff to YouTube, it, it's been well over a decade where people have been able to take care of things themselves. So I think now with COVID and us not necessarily being able to go out as much, maybe it's put a lot more time for people to sit down and actually be listening to things, right? We can't be, you know, with friends and family as much as we want. So maybe I'm streaming a lot more than I would have in the past. Maybe I'm diving more into an artist's back catalog than I would have in the past. Yeah, so I think it's, it's just really opened opportunities for artists to be heard, not necessarily to see performances, which, you know, could potentially be like a huge takeaway from their, you know, their bottom line. But for up-and-comers, it, it's a level playing field, right? You're, you have as much exposure potential as your favorite R&B or hip hop act right now.
0: That's such a wonderful point to make that you have as much opportunity as a, at exposure. Now, when you were finding your exposure at first and building your network, what were some of the key habits that you had to develop to really network yourself, but also build a substantial network of like intentional connections?
1: First and foremost, I, we had to, I say we, so there were about three or four <laughs> of us. But I definitely was, you know, one of the driving forces for the radio side of what we were doing. Uh, for me, I, I get bored of music very quickly. <laughs> I know artists will hate that. So so I was always saying that I needed to have the new stuff. Okay, and this is how far back we can go. There was a record label rep of the five major record labels. Uh, they each had an office here in Calgary. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, they didn't have... The radio stations playing any or much of their urban music obviously at that point let's say uh late 90s early 2000s but that didn't mean that it wasn't on their label so let's say an art label like bmg right you would have everything from alicia keys uh, i think usher was on there but that stuff wasn't necessarily being played in heavy rotation anywhere so i was like well i i know if i'm looking at bet or you know, wherever else I was, you know, getting my music or mixtapes or whatever, I was like, well, I know that you have it here. And I told them, I said, well, if no one else is giving you an outlet for it, your job is to promote it. And I've got a core group of people like myself who like the music. So they, it kind of became this back and forth where they were telling me, well, there's not enough people who are interested in it. So then I made it my mission to show them that there was enough people and that's where our parties started coming in so now if you've got 200 400 500 a thousand people coming out and there's no radio support but you've got a brand new brandy release right then all of a sudden it makes it more interesting or more sensible for that record industry rep to come to us and go there's this one little three hour radio block that's playing the music Plus they're putting it in front of people who actually enjoy the album and who want to be at a listening release party. So it was more of connecting the dots, but just based on my own and our group's own personal tastes. So if we knew we thought it was gonna be hot and we were in essence curating, you know, this growing playlist, this ever moving playlist for a group of people who were following us in whatever way, shape or form we were saying, well, we could, I just kept going back to Warner Music, BMG Music, EMI Music, whoever else was there with whatever releases they had. And I met them, I think, every week. Uh, and then, yeah, we were just trying to integrate that into the radio show and then eventually into our live events. That is
0: substantial work. That is a lot. Yeah.
1: It was. It, it was. <laughs> <definitely> it really <was.
0: laughs> worth it, though, and very much appreciated. Obviously, a lot has changed in the last year, especially with the Black Lives Matter movements and the expanse of coverage that Black creatives have been getting to an extent. So do you think that the Black Lives Matter initiatives and protests have affected the way people are consuming, and I quote, urban music, your mixes or DJing or hip hop, like just the like the entertainment industry as it relates to the urban entertainment industry. Do you think the Black Lives Matter movement has changed that? Maybe expanded it?
1: I would hope so. I know that it it has for me personally. But with anything like this, it's uh, it it became a political thing. So it's been polarizing to people on you know, both the right and the left. So it's sparked conversation, which is always interesting because any marketer will tell you that, you know, if if someone's talking about you, then there's an opportunity (laughs) for you to get paid. And I'm not saying, you know, necessarily from the BLM side of it, but if you're looking at it from a music perspective, right? So for me personally, and it had been happening to me before. So anyone who knows me, I had been playing, yeah, pretty much any and everything urban but then as i had gotten older i had started dialing back and i I think it's just your your taste tends to soften or you know you become more focused the more music you're exposed to and it was it was tough for me in my own head to say you know what as a a a person of color a a visible minority a man in western canada right i people tell me i'm intimidating (laughs) if they see me on a dark street by myself for for whatever reason well which is fine and then you're seeing all these things that were happening in the us and then you're understanding that that's not just a one-off thing that this can be constantly happening so for me personally i mean when i started doing my own reflection a lot of the music that i would have been comfortable playing before I kept telling my friends, I kind of had a a Dave Chappelle moment where I was like, you know what, this is not me playing music. And I appreciate that there's a large audience who is coming to us, but are they looking at us as genuine entertainment or caricatures? Right? So if everything we're playing is gun this, shoot that, you know, hold this, bitch that, right? Then how is it that now I can, I'm, I'm asking the general public who knows nothing about myself or my culture to take me seriously when what I'm projecting is in their minds negative. Right, now I'm not saying that they need to care what I play or what I listen to, but that was my self-reflective moment where I was like, okay, I have to be mindful because you realize here that just how polarizing you even saying that you matter as a person of color is to some people, they're like, well, I don't understand why you're saying black lives matter, all lives matter. I'm like, well, we know that, but clearly what you don't realize is that in some places, black lives matter less than, exactly. than all lives. Right? Yeah, you'll spend more time at a, uh, you know, a uh, an animal rights movement than you'd care about the guy who just got choked out in front of a, a convenience store, right? And the fact that you have to even discuss that in 2020, 2021, right? Tells you the power of, you know, certain blogs or certain media uh, that people are being fed this thing. They don't hear the other side of the story. so. How I consume my music, I guess, in the, the long story short, yeah, I get even uncomfortable now if I'm around certain things that I would have just taken for granted before. That no, makes it sense. it
0: absolutely does make sense. And it's just it's becoming intentional and aware of how things are upholding injustices. I always discuss this with people where I feel like a lot of urban music has to be a certain category. It has to say certain things for it to be different enough from the mainstream, but still have its own type of mainstream contribution and it's usually like the songs about guns and violence and drugs and things like this that maintain this image and this idea that certain class can escape to as though they are interacting with a minority class but it's something that they can remove themselves from because it's like a different life. I don't know, it gets me, it really gets me going. The hegemonic enforcement of music sometimes but I do understand. what you're saying. So have you changed the mixes that you're making? Have you changed your sound to reflect your self-reflection, I guess?
1: Yes, but it just became, I think it it became more evident to people now. But if you actually listen to my mixes from, I'd say, probably about nine years ago. It went back that far when it really started to hit me. Yeah, getting older, I'd gotten out of doing radio commercially and I realized that, you know, now I could pick and choose the events that I wanted to do. So I focused on where I started um, an event series nice. with Benny mm-hmm. from 10 to 10 and uh, Gummy, which was our radio show used to be called The Groove. We had brought that back where I wanted to just focus on Neo Soul and just more of the, the positive side of, you know, you literally listen to music and, you know, you get this this warm feeling right there's the opportunity for you to you know just feel proud about what it is that you're doing and where you're at in life you know the positives and the negatives are there but it isn't about the glorification of the negative and I don't even want to say like I'm harping on that because a lot of the stuff I listen to still talks about the negativity of life because it is it's going to exist but it's the the, the fine line for me is the glorification of it like I can appreciate if you come from like if you listen to a lot of reggae right a lot of reggae music is about the struggle yes if i if i literally look at bob marley's catalog it is about the struggle and i can understand and appreciate that right um but then when you start jumping into the line of um i'm doing better than you i'm going to shoot you in the head i'm going to take your wife where now it it goes from because I had nothing, now I'm going to take everything and that glorification, that's unfortunately feeding the beast in my mind, right? Where everyone goes, well, that's what you black people do anyway. You sing about it, that's all you do. So that's unfortunately, a lot of the people I was coming into contact with, like I talk about the record labels, even the radio stations that I worked at when they started, we had sales reps who, you know, they weren't even able to, they weren't even comfortable promoting what we were doing because they didn't know anything about the music other than I it was baggy, baggy pants at that point. Everyone was in a gang. Girls were pouring champagne down their chests, and and that was it. So they literally saw one side of what the culture really was. Right.
0: With all of that in mind, what would you change in the urban music scene? Nothing. Good. Okay.
1: No, no, no. It's not my place to change. My my place is that. That's says the beauty of it right now is that. You have a lane that you can fit in, no matter what your lane is. And if there isn't a lane, it's actually easy enough for you to create one, right? Like the weekend would not have fit into, you know, most molds, right? This was a, if you think about it, he just happened to be a very talented guy who was working with the right people in the right place in Toronto. There was a point where people were like, I'm not listening to anybody from Canada. I'm not, I'm just not listening to anybody from Canada, including Canadians. You're not hard enough, I'm not, I don't care, right? But now you're able to carve your own space and create your own sound, be as retro as future that you wanna be, and and you be you. I just want any artist to be as authentic as possible. And that's why I say I keep coming back to it, is that if your true self is, you know, the struggle, talk about that where i get critical as you know an an og or an old head in the game is when i see a suburban kid who goes well this is what i'm supposed to talk about so yeah my life's tougher than everyone else's uh nigga 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 bitch bitch bitch, die 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 and i'm like come on dude you grew up in sundance (laughs) like
0: yeah absolutely do you you have children correct i do i have two girls how old are they five Five and and two. two okay so pretty young and knowing the way women, yep. I guess, are represented in a lot of urban music, as you've been explaining how they're spoken about, how do you hope that they interact with urban music?
1: With a, with open ears. I want them to be exposed to as much as possible and not just urban, all, all music. I think why I am the way that I am is because, again, culturally, the Caribbean itself, we, we had stations that were playing music from, you know, well before I was born to even, you know, right after I left, that you could switch over legitimately and hear any and everything. From grassroots music to, you know, we're listening to UK sounds, we're listening to, you know, the top 40 charts in the US. My parents are big into jazz, we are big into reggae, you know, even a certain amount of classical in school, that sort of stuff. So be open to it and then to find their lane. And I I mean, obviously I, I hope that their lane ends up becoming Uh, something that's positive (laughs) I hope but at the same time I've seen enough music and I've been around uh, enough artists that I just want someone to have whether it's positive or negative message in the music I want them to have a positive experience from the music.
0: I completely understand I'm sure you've had a collection of positive experiences as well and like big moments that you have realized that even though there are things that you don't agree with this is in an industry that you are very happy to be a part of so what do you think has been one of your biggest like i made it moments or positive moments or just like those de- like a defining moment that assured you you were in the right direction i think i had two good <laughs> <laughs> i
1: had two well i mean there's a there's a there's quite a few that you know kind of reassure yeah. you along the way but the the first big one was just the validation from my parents to tell me you know th- just from the outside you know this is not what you we had hoped for you but this is where your passion is so we support you in that so it wasn't I don't know you, you, uh, how many artists you've been around who are constantly telling people hey man I'm gonna make it I don't, I don't care about the haters blah 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 blah. It it was never that situation for me it was it was a lot of I do this and it's you know, like I go play soccer or play basketball. I do it for fun. I don't expect myself to be in the NBA. I just do this because I like it. But it became so consuming for me to be doing this music that a lot of stuff was falling to the wayside. And for for that point, for them to say, you know what? Let's see if you can actually, no one's ever done it out here before, right? No one sounds like you out here before, but we support you to at least try and see if you can do this. So that was like a huge weight off my shoulders the first time that happened. And then. When I actually got my first contract to do Middays, to launch 98.5, which is Virgin Radio now, that was a big one for us as well too. There was a big investor party and people in from Toronto and talent that had been brought in from out of province. And I was one of the few people who was selected from here in Calgary because they knew what I was doing on you know the, the volunteer side of things and, and some of my actual promotions. So that was a, a really big one for me. Uh, And then, yeah, I think the first party that we had actually sold out, right? We had no internet. There was no Facebook, right? We were doing, you know, handbills and a few of us were selling tickets by hand, Like We had no box office and we ended up with, you know, like I said, it was started with a few hundred, but then it turned into, I think the biggest party we had done was just over a thousand um new year's it turned into 2000 plus uh, rewind thankfully is still a, a machine that goes at you know 1200 to 2000 per night depending on on where it is so wow
0: so, wow yeah. those moments made me feel uplifted just listening to them <laughs> belated <laughs> congratulations on all of that Thank along you. your journey um it's great that you had support for your parents it's great that you had support for the people around you and that people were able to acknowledge that you were contributing something amazing and all of that and maybe this is related to or will overlap with your um, defining moments but what do you think is some of the best advice you received in your journey hmm. I know it's a big one it's a big wow. one because you've done so many wonderful things too that you probably receive advice all the time in different ways and like you just through conversations inspiration you find these different things but if you were to have like a defining moment and sit down with somebody who reminds you of your younger self, and they're like, "What do I do next year? What's happening? <laughs> what advice do you give them?"
1: Um, my live hosting it was actually a conversation I had with Russell Peters. We had booked him years ago. This is well before his—I mean, he was a star already, but his superstardom that he's at right now. We had booked him to do a comedy show. And I was just the volunteer radio host guy at that point. Like I said, I would be in a room with a couple of our co-hosts. We dim the lights, we're there to play music, and we talk a bunch of foolishness on the radio, and then we pack up. Uh, No one knew who I was, I don't think. It was just this voice that was on the radio. I wasn't out and about too much. So with him being an established comedian, he comes out and he was asking, well, who's going to be the opener? (laughs) And I don't know if we had thought Mm -hmm. that far ahead. So he had one person traveling with him he's like well not the he's like who's the host and you know my group looked at me and said well drew and then he goes okay so have you hosted before and i was like uh yeah i would be like hi ladies and gentlemen welcome to the event and here's russell peters he's like no no, no you have to be funny <laughs> yeah it was literally that he started with that he's like you have to be funny i was like uh what so yeah there's a bit of half panic but i can't remember the exact words that he had but the fact that kind of you know, just took it back and said, "No, no, no. This is what we're going to do, and I'm going to tell you at least the core things I want you to do before you go on stage." I'd never had somebody who was in a legitimate star position try to pull me up with them before, right? So that that kind of took me to a point where I started looking at hosting a little bit differently, and I had actually taken a shot at stand-up comedy a couple times. So I just wanted to make sure that I could do it. And it was just on his advice. So I think I, I had approached everything from uh, any promotions I was looking at, um, DJing any events, hosting any events, or even, you know, trying to be comedic at anything, um, based on that where it was, here's a situation, you know, dial it down. Break it down into into the components that you need at this point, and then practice it until you can get it get it done. So, that was for me. Advice I could probably give to somebody. What? Let's see. So you're saying advice for what? As what? An artist, a disc jockey? What are you looking at?
0: I guess it doesn't matter. A disc jockey. Let's say a disc jockey.
1: Okay. As much as you're going to work on your craft, whether you're an artist or a DJ, work on your promotions just as much.
0: That's good. That's a good piece of advice. A very useful yeah. piece of Make advice. Make sure
1: you know what your brand is, right? So be be able to promote that. You must be able to market yourself in today's day and age. As I said, in in many ways and shapes and forms, your the the playing field is quite level, right? I will I will be taking in Drake's video on YouTube. That platform is open to you as well.
0: Good, great advice. Outside for music, who are you? What do you care about? What is shaping your life? What are you working on? Like, Who are you when you're not surrounded by the entertainment industry? Uh,
1: Serial entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, family man. Uh, Jokester, I guess. but yeah, I'm always thinking about uh, the future and financial security. So yeah, yeah. I've been licensed. Uh, I sell real estate, um, work with investors who um, renovate and sell properties, much like you'd see on these HGTV shows so they will take an ugly house and fix it up. Dabble with some of that myself. I still do a lot of promotions. I host the Coca-Cola stage when we do have the Stampede right? I'm one of the daytime hosts there for the last four years, five years. I'm entertainment coordinator for the Caribbean Festival here in Calgary, and I run Calgary Soca Promotions, where I'm promoting soca music in Western Canada. I still do the Rewind series, and every so often you'll still see me out and about at an urban event. So music's still in my blood, that's not going anywhere. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I just wanna keep pushing, you know, Caribbean culture and urban culture forward. So anytime there's an opportunity for me to help out with that, I still try to do it.
0: Thank you for sharing everything today and for talking with me. It has been a really wonderful interview. I hope you also enjoyed it. Just as a closing remark, is there anything that we can expect from you in 2021? Anything that you'd like to take a moment to promote or anything that you're just hoping to grant yourself as an individual in 2021
1: that you might feel interested in sharing? Oh, I don't know. I don't. That's the thing is I, I probably wear too many hats, as my wife will say. <laughs> uh, COVID has been interesting and challenging, right? So mm-hmm. I've got uh, a couple of virtual Caribbean music streams. So Trinidad Carnival is going to be coming up here in the next week. It's supposed to be. So there'll be a couple of virtual streams I'll be involved with playing soccer music. I have no idea what is gonna be happening towards stampede time. Uh, we'll be doing the rewind party from uh, in conjunction with Hotels Live, which will have a live component and a streaming component to Twitch for my hip hop and R&B old school lovers. Uh, and yeah, we're just trying to take it one step at a time. Just really trying to hope that things come back together for for live venues so we can get some bodies and places and just be out and about and then yeah just you may see me on my social media every so often if i've got a a really nice project real estate wise that has come up i might post it there too but it's just been about trying to just like everybody else trying to keep our head above water with with everything you know economically and you know just spiritually as well just trying to stay in connection with everybody so i can't say past spring like where we would have typically planned out we would have typically planned out the majority of the year like from september or october of the previous year i plan out september october of the following year is what we typically would have done but yeah with covid now and you know things shifting and moving it's pretty much every quarter at a time so every three four months so that's it i'll be rewind calgary soca and yeah, you'll just probably see me on social media.
0: Okay, good. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, I, I understand COVID keeping timelines shorter, but it's good to have some things to look forward to. And I hope everything that you're working on does come through successfully despite these strange times, but things are changing. Thank you so much for, again, for talking with me, for sharing all of that with me. Yeah, thank you so much. This is the Have You Met Aaliyah podcast, and today we recorded for 10 at 10, Hip Hop and Culture. I'm Aaliyah Luma. Thank you for listening.